Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Raptor Queens podcast, the first ever all-women podcast covering the Toronto Raptors. My name is Sarah Kowell, and I'm here with my other queens of the North, Sonali Sharma, Jade Heartless Hoops, and Allison Hope. We haven't heard from Allison in the last couple of weeks. Hi, Allison. Good to have you back. And today we are going to be covering our one of my favorite people on the entire Raptors organization, Coach Nick Nurse. We've got a couple of questions that we're going to be asking our queens all about Nick Nurse. Two questions in particular being, what is the number one thing that he brings to the team? And what's one area where we think Nick Nurse could use his own coach? So that's the first topic we're going to cover. We got some tea time for y'all. What's going on with our Raptors players? Where are they in the world today? How are they entertaining themselves during quarantine? We also have some coverage on LeBron James, who had something to say about recent reports that the NBA was going to be canceled, that the season was going to be canceled. And finally, episodes three and episode four of um, The Last Dance came out this week. Uh, lots of coverage on Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson and the battle between the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons. And so we've got some coverage on that as well. So thank you all for joining us. We're looking forward to today's conversation. And let's start with our Nick Nurse feature. And we'll start with the first of those two questions that I just mentioned. Allison, we're going to start with you. And the question being put to you right now is, what is the number one thing that you think Nick Nurse brings to this Toronto Raptors team? And why do you think the players respond to him as well as they do? Go ahead. I found this to be a quite an interesting question. And I think um, based on what media and what other coaches and what NBA insiders say about Nick Nurse, it's his adaptability and his creativity. And I think probably some of that is related to like, it's an adaption to having been in small leagues and um, coaching with rosters that were in flux. And I remember him saying he didn't know on any given night what players would be available to him. So I think that's probably the genesis of some of his creativity. But I think probably this other passion of his music and particularly jazz um, is a large component of this. And it's, it's been said that people that listen to jazz are bright and creative. And maybe there's something about the improvisational style of jazz. Um, it's a lot of complexity in the bridges and the chord changes. And I mean, we know that Nick Nurse is a fan of Thelonious Monk. And I think I just read somewhere that he had gone to um, meet with Thelonious Monk's son or nephew or something like that. So um, very much paying homage to like a jazz great. Um, jazz is amazingly complex. And I've got to say, I don't get it. I've listened to a bit of jazz, but to sit down and listen to Miles Davis, uh, entirely too complex for me. Um, listening to that kind of music is like thinking about how infinite the cosmos is. And I just, you know, I just can't grasp that. And I mean, I remember playing chess as a kid and I love chess. And then I remember seeing a three dimensional chessboard, and I just couldn't get my mind around that. Like I just couldn't even contemplate it. So I think there's a lot of intelligent people who are very accomplished in their professions and they can just very easily glom onto jazz and all the complexities. So I think Nick Nurse, his, his passion for music, um, 
really, he's, he can make order out of chaos. He can embrace chaos. And, you know, maybe um, he gets some of that uh, from his love of music. Hmm. That's such an interesting connection, Allison. I really like that. So it's like his ability to improvise and create with whatever he is working with. And you're suggesting that that comes from just the way that he works with music, plays music, listens to music. And that's just part of his natural intelligence at this point. Or, or it's a facet of, of his natural talent. Like he just gravitates towards, you know, like I said, making order of chaos. Like it, it would be interesting. It's like the chicken and the egg. I don't know. Hmm. That's such an interesting take. Thank you so much for, for bringing that one. Um, Sonali, what about you? What do you think here? Yeah, um, I agree, Allison. What a, what a unique yeah, take on, on Nick Nurse's abilities. And sort of on the same vein, I think for me, what I chose was his ability to be so experiential. So I guess experiential, experimenting and creativity are sort of... Um, you know, from the same root. And so I think one of the things that really has just, you know, odd me is his experience with G League teams and the way we've seen him operate our bench mob players and turn them into these high quality players, like the work that he's done with Terrence Davis. The second, um, you know, seeing Rondé hustle, um, Jefferson, and also, you know, watching Norman Powell flourish. I mean, I wanted to like rub this in everybody's face uh, this week that Norman Powell is still the um, Eastern Conference champion of the week since March 9th. And we're coming up to two months of Norm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, so that's sort of, um, that's sort of the strength that I've seen. And again, going to the same comment that you made, Sarah, and same with Allison is that he has this unique ability to work with whatever resources he has. And that's phenomenal. I mean, he's got this experience. I think, I think the experience that he got with working with the Vipers and that sort of being a testing lab for the Houston Rockets, um, that experience has been invaluable. I mean, we've seen him pretty much change or modernize the Raps' offense um, from what it was with Dwayne Casey. And I think that's a huge, um, like, that's a huge accomplishment. And so... I think the players respond to this um, just by, I think he's got this chill vibe. And I think when you're working with somebody who truly believes in you and, you know, sees your, sees you, sees your potential, um, honestly, like, I think they all feel like they're being seen and being heard. And I think that's really important um, in terms of leadership. So that's sort of my take on Nick. Hmm, interesting. So uh, a lot, a lot of what you're saying, what I'm hearing is really his ability to bring out the best in the players that are right there in front of him in that moment, no matter what yeah. combination they're in. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Jade, what's your take? So my take also comes kind of with the music, but still from a little bit of a different angle. 
So I know we're going to talk about The Last Dance a little bit later, but watching the episodes this week and seeing some of the things Phil Jackson did instantly made me think of Nick Nurse because I said from the first season, Nick Nurse has potential to be an all-time great NBA coach. And then seeing how he is doing some of the things that Phil Jackson also did just like cemented that for me because they talked about Phil Jackson incorporating those very personal parts of his life into practice and into the team. And Nick Nurse is doing that with music with the Raptors as well. It's part of their practices. And I think his willingness to be as genuine with the team as, some, as something like that that's obviously very near and dear to his heart is one of the reasons why it's so easy for him to get the buy-in to do all these crazy things because there's a real personal connection there between him and the team. Whereas when I think of Dwayne Casey, I can't imagine Dwayne Casey doing anything on that kind of a personal, of a level, just like I just don't see him being comfortable doing it. And that creates a barrier. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. It's just his style. But that's a barrier that between him and the players that Nick Nurse just doesn't have. Yeah, there was some rock pounding going on in those years. I was wondering if anyone was going to make any comparisons to Phil Jackson, given what we are watching in The Last Dance this week. Um, where, what other uh, comparisons were you noting, Jade? Those were the, those, the other one was the fact that they talked about how Phil Jackson got Dennis Rodman in a way that made him feel seen, like Sonali was saying. I think Nick Nurse has that same kind of thing where it's not a, here's the team and the team has to work. But Nick Nurse, I think, really acknowledges and appreciates and expresses his appreciation for each individual part of the team. Yeah, totally. Like we see that a lot with um, his uh, sort of uh, defensiveness around uh, Pat McCaw and how Pat McCaw has been such a conundrum for all of us uh, Raptors fans out there. And 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 Phil, uh, sorry, not Phil Jackson, Chris, uh, Nick Nurse really sees Pat's potential, right? And so it can be frustrating at times too. And do you guys remember the um, the championship belts they have, like? Isn't there um, a winner at, at each week, like for practice or whoever gets hits the most threes in practice and they get the little, the belt. Like, I wonder who dreamed that up. I could see that being a Nick nurse construct. It's, it seems to fit him. Well, and one other thing, um, uh, direct comparison between Phil and Nick is each of them succeeded a coach that uh, brought the, t the, the previous year's team all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's really interesting that in both cases, the GM decided to let go of the coach that brought them to the Eastern Conference Finals and bring on a different member of the coaching staff as the head coach. And to me, that actually, I'm thinking like, okay, what is it that management or ownership sees in both of these coaches that they were actually like, yeah, as good as it got, we actually think this person is the one to take us to the next level. So that's another comparison, Jade. Yeah, and they turned out to be right about it, which people change coaches from almost successful coaches all the time, and it doesn't always work. So there's definitely something special that those guys have that it was like the right move. 
Yeah, that's right. Like, and, and you know, the choice pays off. And in each instance, the next season, their first season as a head coach, go on to win the championships. So very interesting. Um, also, of course, they're coming into, um, they're, they're coaching a team that has already made it to the Eastern Conference final. So it's not like they're joining a team that doesn't have a history of success already at the point when they join. Um, for me, the thing that really stands out about Nick Nurse can basically be summed up in this one quote that was released this week. Um, uh, he says, this is directly from Nick. I see my job first and foremost to get guys to envision themselves as being champions. And what I really, really like about this quote is when he says being champions, because um, to me, to me, the, the, I think there's a lot of power in the, the verb to be, you know, when we say like, oh, Michael Jordan is competitive. Okay, well, if somebody is competitive, they don't have to try to go do competitive things. It actually is just who they are and everything that they do kind of stems from that. So when I see a quote from Nick saying, no, I want these guys to envision themselves being champions, I'm like, great. And therefore they will act as champions act and it will just be what happens. And so I think Nick gets the psychology of winning and the psychology of championships and um, really the, like what it, ha what it takes to have someone who's never won a championship to still be someone that can. And from there, the team really blossoms. They see themselves as winners. They go into every game. We've seen this this year. They go into every single game, no matter who the opponent is. And they absolutely believe that, of course, we can win this game. So uh, for me, how he uh, trains this team's mentality is the standout feature. That, that's actually a very good point. And there was very much a sense this year even for, for me, like the way the guys seemed to approach it was they could win any game on any given night. So I, I think you hit on something there, Sarah. I was just going to say, even on a night when they were down 30 points in the fourth quarter, they still believe if they had not believed they could win that game, they do not come back and win that game. Exactly. And for me, it's like, like even a level beyond belief, like, no, we are champions and champions don't lose by 30 points. They just don't. And so that like, and that, that was all Kyle Lowry, right? And so I think part of, part of this is Nick Nurse and part of this is actually winning. So like having the team actually having won the championship, it gets like, when they say championship DNA, I kind of believe that on an actual physical level that like you have, a, you have such a physical experience that like you're kind of changed cellularly and um, you know, you start to behave differently. And I, I think, I think it's really cool what we've seen with the team this year. And I think Nick Nurse has been a big, big part of their that development. So that's what I see. So then the next question then, now that we've just given Nick Nurse all this praise, um, even the best coaches sometimes need coaches. So my question now is, what's one area where you think Nick Nurse might need his own coach? And let's go in reverse order this time. So Jade, start with you. So when I first, when we were first uh, putting together the topics and I saw this question, the first thing I thought of was he needs a coach's challenge coach. But then I remembered that towards the end of the season, just before things shut down, I saw a stat that Nick Nurse actually ended up by the end of the season with the most successful challenges of any coach in the NBA. So I was like, hmm. And like, other than that, like, I don't know. I kind of think Nick Nurse is the best thing since sliced bread. So if I can't have that one, I'm kind of, I'm kind of lost. 
<laughs> oh yeah, he definitely did not do uh, uh, do well with his initial coaches challenge. Uh, did you see his his quote? Um, I think it was in March before the shutdown. He really doesn't like the coaches challenges. Like despite that he has the best record, he really doesn't like them. Yeah, I could, that doesn't surprise me too much. I, I feel like probably we're going to find out that the majority of coaches didn't like them. Um, and I think that's going to come down to the fact that you're not allowed to challenge the most important things. So what's really the point? Like if the ref misses the call, you can't say, hey, you missed this obvious call. So if you can only challenge when a whistle is blown and there's no recourse for all the times the whistle is not blown, it kind of seems like an unnecessary stoppage of the game. Yeah. And I think what he specifically said was, um, you know, if the, if the, if the challenge is for an out of bounds call, but the reason the ball is knocked out of bounds is because of the foul that came before it. And so the foul is missed, but they still keep the out of bounds play um, as the only thing that's being reviewed. And we're kind of missing the bigger picture, the common sense there. Okay. So for you, the biggest thing that Nick Nurse needs help with is, well, he did need help with Coach's Challenge, and he got better at it. You have nothing else that you would point to is be like, hey, Nick, check this out. No, I'm still drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, I, the, the change between him and Dwayne Casey was so drastic. Like, I'm, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing the heartless thing, because when I think about it, I really, don't, I really don't care about things the way a lot of other Raptors fans do. Like, my mom was so indignant when he fired Dwayne Casey. And I was like, it's about freaking time he fired Dwayne Casey. Like, for me, I'm still so happy with the changes that needed to happen that I guess I'm not ready to criticize them yet. Okay. That's a little bit like if you break up with someone and you're so happy you broke up with them that even, like, three years later, you're relieved. But the opposite. Okay. Um, all right, Sonali, over to you. What's an area where you think Nick Nurse might need some coaching? Yeah, I mean, similar to Jade, I am, I definitely have drank the Kool-Aid. It was really tough for me to, like, sit there and um, find out areas where he potentially needed his own coach. But then I kind of looked at the reps, get, like, their standings in terms of um, turnovers and assists, and I think maybe that's something that uh, – coaching would um, help in terms of what Nick Nurse is doing. Uh, and yeah, I think other than that, I, I do want him to get some coaching on like Pat McCaw. Like I still don't quite fully understand this. Relationship. I was wondering <laughs> if somebody would bring that up. Like what is going on with Pat McCaw, Nick Nurse? I mean, defensively he's okay, but come on, let's, talk about his offense I'm still yeah like I still I don't get it or like at the very least like can somebody coach Nick Nurse to explain to the fans why <laughs> he's so on board with Patrick McCaw what does he see that we don't see I have theories about this okay well um, we have, let's diverge so, and go okay <laughs> um I think one of the things that I think it's easy to forget as Raptors fans is that Patrick McCaw is getting way more minutes than he would if we were healthy. Way, way more minutes than he would if we had had injuries every single day of the freaking season. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is, again, Nick Nurse wants to have as many pieces available as he can. 
So I think to me that means if I can give if I can give McCaw a few more a few minutes and hopefully get him to do what I believe he can do, that's better for the team overall. And we know that Nick Nurse is willing to take risks. So I, I think it's a combination of those two things is what he sees that we don't see, which I mean, I think he's a basketball genius, so I'm willing to give him some rope on that. But also the fact that we saw way more minutes from Patrick McCaw than we should, realistically. Yeah, okay. I agree with the first statement that we have seen more minutes from him than we should. Yes. I don't know. This is an area where I wonder. I, I just wonder if maybe someone needs to just be like, Nick, what you think you see in Patrick McCaw is not actually there. I don't know. It's an area I wonder. Allison, what do you think? Where do you think that Nick Nurse could use some coaching? So I, this was a very difficult question and um, I'm fully cognizant that Essie may be critical if I don't come up with something definitive. So um, I have to say that he probably needs a style coach, like a style consultant, because sometimes he looks a bit frumpy and I've got to say I'm a t-shirt and jeans chick. So anyone who knows me is going to be laughing to hear me say this, but this is honestly the only thing that I could think of. Wow. I find that that hilarious because we put up with all those years of Dwayne Casey's 30 year old suits. I think Nick nurse is miles better than that. Oh, really? I, then it must be me. I thought Dwayne Casey was, I mean, was relatively well-dressed, but anyway. For an old uncle. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is the demographic divide here. Maybe we'll just go with that. Honestly, Allison, of all of the people on this podcast to say that Ian is a style coach or the last one that we would ever expect to say it. Well, and I mean, yeah, if, especially if you could see my my style. But I mean, kind of look, he's more like toward the Mark Gasol end of the fashion continuum rather than the Serge Ibaka end, I guess. Yeah, but Serge is bougie. Like, you don't get bougier than Serge. I think Nick Nurse is just more low-key. But like he has a he has a plaid suit that's like burgundy and blue and gray. Like that's pretty stylish. <laughs> yeah, but he also has a ta- a tan suit. The tan suit's gotta go. But he's also like a dad with like what like five or six children. So I mean, he has to maintain his dad reputation as well too. But yeah, Serge is dirty. <laughs> but on that note, Allison, maybe we could like petition to get. Um, Nick Nurse on one of the episodes of um, Serge's Yvette class. class show. Good idea. We should start a petition. Yes. Ins- uh, as a, Inspired by this episode, in particular, uh, <laughs> let's try that again. Inspired by this episode and particularly your comments, Allison. Um, all right. So I, I, I do have an area where I thought that Nick Nurse could be coached. And I don't actually have this as a criticism. I'm looking forward to the future. And I think, um, let's assume the NBA does come back for this season. Um, I think that Nick Nurse would benefit greatly 
from having his own coach about how to coach a team coming back from a break like this. Because when you think about, especially the Raptors team being on such a hot streak and being so mentally there for the entire season. And then this break with so much uncertainty, how do you get your team back? I don't even know if back is possible. You know what I mean? Like it it won't be the same. You can't create the sameness that there was before. So how do you have your team focus? What do you have them focus on? How do you deal with whatever mental scatteredness has been a part of your team during this break and actually still have them on a path towards a championship, especially when there's things like, Oh man, this season's a write off anyway. Like there's a whole bunch of background conversations that might be going on in players heads. Maybe this is a write off. Even if we win, it doesn't really matter. Nobody's really going to think of it as it's always going to have an asterisk next to him. You don't know what your team will do with this. And so as a head coach, I think being able to deal with that would be a huge challenge. And so any kind of support Nick nurse could get, um, to coach that would be invaluable. Excellent idea. I wonder if I wonder if our guys would need that as much from their coach, though. Like, I think some teams would need it, but I feel like the personalities on our team, they're going to come back kind of ready anyways, kind of like that championship DNA you talked about. I don't think this break is going to be enough to to put them off too, too much. Okay. Well then even looking at next year, then like, do you have players come back and coming back thinking man, I was really robbed of a chance to do this. Um, and like, just like bitterness or disappointment. Like, I, I don't know. I do think, I just think that no matter what your situation is, whatever team it is that's coming back, there's just like a new challenge that was completely unforeseen that you need to deal with as the head coach. Okay, well, it appears that I have rendered you all speechless with my brilliant analysis about what Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse needs. And so we will now move on to uh, our next segment. And Sonali, I'm going to turn it over to you for some Raptors Tea Time. Uh, so yeah, so Tea Time, lots of things happening in uh, this social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok universe. Um, one notably this week was um, Charles Barkley's list of his top favorite NBA players. And there was a lot of uh, talk in the Twitterverse that Charles didn't include Kobe or uh, LeBron in that. So, I mean, obviously at number one, MJ was number one on his list. Uh, and then he had people like Oscar Robertson, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, but he didn't give mention to LeBron and Kobe. So people felt that that was a bit of a slight. So a little bit of interesting gossip there. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of uh, tweets out there for those of you interested in what the players are thinking about the last dance. I know we're going to talk about this soon, but one of the cute little responses that Serge Ibaka had posted earlier uh, this week was um, just sort of giving uh, a nod to Dennis Rodman's infamous Vegas vacation. He said, when everything gets back to normal, I think I'm going to ask Coach Nick Nurse for time off to go to Paris Fashion Week. I really need that time to keep my focus. Hashtag last dance, hashtag Rodman. It's a cute little 
um, Serge Nadoff. I don't, I'm not sure if Serge is our Dennis Rodman, but. That, that's um, so on point for Serge. So that's really cute. great. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if any of you ladies had a chance to see um, Bobby Webster was live on Twitter today um, answering yeah. uh, fan mail on, you know, being the GM of the Raptors. And so I caught a few of the questions, but I, I'm, I'm curious to go back and, and listen to everything. So that that was pretty neat. I don't know. Allison, did you? I did. Did you... Yeah. Yeah, I saw the one about uh, where he identified uh, someone sent in a question about the culture and what was the culture of the team. That was a pretty fascinating glimpse into the, the inner workings of the Raptors. I really enjoyed um, those little vignettes. Yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, I we definitely recommend that. Quick comment. Uh, um, yeah. Just on your point, Allison, on the on the culture of the team and specifically saying winning. I feel like that goes back to like that whole thing I was saying earlier, like this is just a team of winners and that's who they want on their team. It's who they want to have around. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then speaking of winners, um, Drake's mixtape came out. I know we've been, I talked about the Tootsie slide last week uh, and on two of Drake's songs in the, in the mixtape, the full album should be coming out in the summer. Um, but he does give a nod off to Kauai in one of his songs called Pay 1993, um, where he says, when I shoot my shot, it's Kauai way, it's going in. And that's a reference to that infamous, infamous shot that Kawhi Leonard had against the 76ers. And that basically set the stage for us going into the championship um, finals. So uh kind of cool and also like all of us he's also watching the last dance and you can hear that um in his other song called landed where he says i'd be in and out of the arena as like i'm scotty pippen so a little a little hat off to scotty pippen not sure um i'll sort of leave that to everybody to interpret uh, and then another really cute video. Everybody knows how much I love Chris Boucher. And Chris Boucher was on an Instagram live uh, with I forget who, but um, he had very, very nice words for our beloved Kyle Lowry. And he said, Kyle brings the dog out of everybody. And it was just really sweet to see him um, fanboying on, on Kyle Lowry and our favorite hype boy, O'Shea Brissett, I had no idea, but his um, brother uh, just got drafted into the Toronto Argonauts, I think. So he's got a brother that plays football. So obviously athletics are in the team and it was really cute to see him giving his brother some um, brotherly family support. So yeah, so those are kind of the, um, the happenings. And I think we're gonna be talking about quarantine players and the NBA um, and what's gonna happen uh, for the rest of the season here when, um, but, uh, that's, that sort of, that's the tea I got for you today. That's awesome. That comment about Chris Boucher, what he said about Kyle also reminded me what Terrence Davis said earlier this week. Um, just that like how he's so keen to come back from quarantine, but even earlier this season, like everything he does is just to prove that he belongs on this team and he's working so hard to earn his spot here. Um, I just I thought that was really cool to hear. Yeah, rookie of the year. 
Yeah, I, I doubt he's a serious contender, but um, he's certainly really, really special player and he's been good for this team this year. Um, okay, so thanks for thanks for spilling that tea, Sonali. Uh, our next, um, the next thing we're going to move is um, onto a quote from LeBron James. So there were, I think I can just read this quote directly and you'll get the background of it. LeBron tweeted, saw some reports about execs and agents wanting to cancel the season, question mark, question mark, question mark. That's absolutely not true. Nobody I know saying anything like that. As soon as it's safe, we would like to finish our season. I'm ready and our team is ready. Nobody should be canceling anything. Crown emoji. So that's the quote from LeBron. Um, the background is that there were just some, some reports going around Twitter that execs were asking for the season to be canceled. LeBron saying, nope, that's not what happened. And let's get back. Let's get back as soon as it's safe. So um, Allison, I believe you have something to say about this. So let's pass it over to you. I really think LeBron is talking more with his heart here. I mean, no one's saying anything like that on record anyway. And I mean, as soon as it's safe, like what if it's not safe until October? I mean, if that's the case, I mean, I think it's fair to say the season would be a wash. And I mean, there is a pandemic and we've had some unpleasant reminders about the lack of public health rigor in the States and, you know, just uneven availability of resources there. So, I mean, of course the athletes want to play. Of course the media wants to produce content and the owners want revenue and the fans want, you know, to watch the game they love, but you know, there's a bigger reality here. So I, I think, um, and I can't blame him for talking from his heart, but I, you know, I, I think that's where this is coming from. Yeah, I agree with Allison on both things. So the first part is, you know, the phrase Pixar didn't happen. For me in my basketball life is if I don't see Woj say it, it's not true. And I haven't seen Woj say anything where he said people are asking to cancel the season. I have seen him say that execs are getting frustrated because there's no clear direction, which is understandable from both sides because I feel like we're obviously in a situation nobody on the planet's ever lived through before. And it's information needs to be slow in coming so that mistakes are not made. So I understand why Adam Silver and the other people responsible are not jumping to anything. I also understand the frustration on the side of the executives and the players from just not knowing what's going on. But like Allison said, I haven't seen any quote where an exec said, let's cancel the season. So that's the first part. And then her second part, when she said about like, by the way, there's a pandemic going on. Like, I just feel like certain people in life get this feeling like whatever they want is going to happen. And LeBron James's life is a perfect illustration. Of course, that's how he's going to feel. Um, everything that he set out to do, he's done. Everything he touches is gold. So of course, he's going to have that, that, feeling of, well, I want to play, I want to finish the season, so it's going to happen. But I don't think it's realistic to think that it is, honestly. Like, I feel like if they don't get started in the next two to three weeks, unless they're going to push out the beginning of the season, and even if they push out the beginning of the season to December, I don't think it's realistic to think that this season is going to finish. 
And it wouldn't be the first time. There have been times when seasons have not finished because of wars or other global things. So I feel like if he was being realistic from an intellectual standpoint, it needs to be okay if it if the season doesn't finish. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sonali, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I have to agree with both Allison and Jade's analysis on the first question of like, who are these executives? Because I haven't seen anything either. But I think it's also like, this is just sort of a testament to how um, so many people out there are trying to derive meaning out of even just like bits and pieces of news that come out. And you know, one classic example that I've been seeing, like the only thing I've seen from the execs is this whole sort of proposition or this proposal that MGM um, has proposed where it said, you know, you can, you can have the final, you can have um, the playoffs in, in, in Nevada, in Vegas, and then sort of quarantining the players away from their families. And I think the execs were pretty clear that they're they're not interested in quarantining um, team players from families and just the level of testing that would be involved with something like that. It would just, it, it's, we're not sure it's, it's manageable even. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think LeBron is, this year has been a pretty devastating year, especially for the Lakers. And I think he really wants to win the championship and he wants to do it in a way um, to also serve as an homage to to LeBron and LeBron, uh, sorry, to Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant's um, legacy as well too. And so I think there's just a lot of emotional uh, thinking, and I, I felt that that tweet was definitely from a place of his his own heart and his own emotional experiences that he's been dealing with in this in this past year. So, yeah. That's that's a good point, Sonali. I think um, <laughs> we, we might underestimate the the heartbreak of an unfinished story, no matter what the story is. If you're in the middle of a good story, for us, it's like the middle middle of the Raptors defending championship run, and you don't get to finish it. Um, like as a human being, most of us want to actually complete story arcs, and this is just uninter just interrupted and unfinished, and it it feels that way. And there, yeah. Okay, so. Um, Thanks for your comments on that. We're now going to move into the last bit here. Uh, and we are going to talk about episodes three and four of The Last Dance. And I know Jade has just been itching to tell us her thoughts on this. And I don't even know exactly where you're going to start, Jade. So why don't you just pick the topic that is the most juicy to you from these three episodes three and four and take us away. Okay, so I grew up on the Pistons. So this is probably going to include my all-time favorite of anything that happens in the documentary, the fact that this was the Bad Boy Pistons section. Um, and overall, I find it really interesting that Michael Jordan approved the final cut of this documentary, and he still pretty much mostly comes off looking like a bit of a jerk. And you have to assume that this is the most flattering cut that could have happened if he's okay with it. And, I, and I'm still like, man, he's a bit of a sociopath, it seems like, and he's a bit of a jerk. And so I find it interesting that he is so indignant about the way the bad boys played the Bulls through that stretch uh, for a couple of reasons. 
first of all, because what were they expecting a team that had earned the nickname the Bad Boys to do? Why, why is everyone's mind blown that they behaved badly? This was what they did. This was what they had already been doing. And when they saw a threat to their throne, they took it up a notch, which is exactly what you expect in a rivalry when you're defending your championship, you're defending your spot. So I always find it a little bit interesting. And I think that because we remember Michael Jordan so much for the persona the NBA presented of him, we, we, uh, we forget about the fact that, and I believe this 100%, if Michael Jordan had been drafted by the Pistons and not the Bulls, he would have fit right in. He's not mad that the bad boys played the way they did. He's mad that they did it to him and beat him doing it. Same thing with the walk-off. Yeah, it was not a classy thing for the Pistons to do. Again, they were the bad boys. Classiness and bad boys don't generally come in the same package, which is why they're such a problem to date. So, why are we, (laughs) why are we expecting classiness out of this group of guys when they got beat and they walked off? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly on brand for that group of dudes. And again, Jordan's not mad that they walked off and in, in terms of being sportsmanlike, he's mad because ultimately they still won the mind game because Jordan enjoys saying ha I won and I need to rub it in your face right they showed him doing that with the reporters that said he wasn't going to win I've taken care of you I've taken care of you and I'm going to take care of you tonight he wants to be able to rub it in people's faces and with the Pistons walking off he never got that public acknowledgement that he had bested them from them and that's why he's still salty about it find that yeah that's so interesting but do you guys remember there was also a comment from some of his um his uh teammates I don't know why I struggled with that word um and you know they were saying that the only emotion they ever saw from Michael was just like anger or it was like being competitive and it wasn't until the Bulls actually won the championship that anyone had ever seen him cry or express a different type of emotion And I think that just like, I think it validates what you're saying, Jade. And I kind of agree. And I think in terms of decorum, like, I think what did the commentator, what was said was just basically, you just don't, you don't acknowledge if you lose, you just, you deal with it and you go off the, uh, uh, you know, you go off the floor. And um, yeah, I am, I'm very curious to think of a world where Michael Jordan had access to Twitter and was tweeting on his own and what fans would have thought of him if he was in today's um, NBA world. And, you know, we've got, we think of Kevin Durant and I, you know, I don't want to make a comparison between Kevin Durant and Michael Jordan, but I don't know. Like if somebody is that competitive, then, you know, would there have been a couple hundred Michael Jordan burner accounts too? Hmm. Well, uh, I can I can see your point, Jade, a little bit, but basically, what it sounds like is you're trying to call out Michael Jordan for like a lack of humility in some respects, like for being like, "Hey, um, 
you're you're kind of just an arrogant jerk who wants to rub it in your face that you've lost but like on the flip side you could just argue that the whole Detroit team was lacking humility in the decision just simply not to be sportsmanlike and shake hands yeah but the Pistons were were being deposed like that's a whole different thing if you think of this rivalry was a war right? This was not friendly series like we see in the NBA today where guys hang out in between, you know, hang out together in the summer. This was war. So like, if you think about um, a lion pride when, when the younger guy is challenging for the top dog spot and he wins, like the top guy isn't hanging around to shake hands. He's getting the heck out of there so he doesn't get killed. And I just feel like because they were they had been in the top spot. It's a different thing than when the Bulls lost to the Pistons. It's a different, it's a different mindset. And, and again, the Pistons were about the mind game. And I think their ultimate goal was that they won the mind game. And they did win because he's still angry about it 20 years later. They won ultimately, even though they lost the game. They, they won the bigger game. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what game you're playing because I disagree with you. This wasn't a war. Not actually. And it wasn't a lion pride with a contender. Not actually. It's a basketball championship. It's a sport. And yeah, they're super competitive and they might be relating to it that way. But end of the day, it's just a sport and you can shake hands and walk off. So if the game is simply to mess with Michael Jordan 20 years later, and they knew that this would be the thing that did that, then yeah, I guess they won that game. Um, If the game is 20 years later, does the world see you as a classy or sportsman-like basketball team? They did lose that one, in my opinion. But they didn't care about being classy or sportsmanlike at the time. Why do they care 20 years later? They never cared about that. And to your other point, if we're going to say that this was not as important to those guys as a war, then when we go back and we talk about LeBron talking from his heart about missing basketball when there's a global pandemic going on, we can't be okay with LeBron saying we need to play basketball and not be okay with those guys treating it like this is more than a basketball game. I, I don't think those comparisons uh, track. I, I, get, I think I get the point you're saying, but I think it's completely fair to bring an emotional part of the game and have, have an emotional um, connection to the game. I just think that you, when it comes you don't down think to it, was, it... You don't think it was an emotional thing why they walked off and wouldn't shake hands? Of course it was, but it was one of those things where like emotion getting the better of an action I don't know just getting getting the better of them and like actually taking over in a way that was really disrespectful I don't know my thing is always just that they earned the title they earned the name so like I don't understand why we expected them to be different at the moment they were at their lowest when they were jerks when they're at their best sure and you know that actually does go back to my early point you act as you are and so if they are bad boys then yes they acted completely in um how they, how they acted was completely in accordance with that. So sure, I can concede that point. And maybe they needed a coach like Nick Nurse to see beyond their basketball 
bad boy status and maybe if that was in play then we would have had a better non-walk-off situation but as you ladies were talking I had this um so I promised somebody that I would make a, a reference to Space Jam so I think this is the perfect place to insert this reference is that um do you guys think that the Monstar team was based off of the Detroit Pistons bad boys well, that's an interesting question. Oh, snap. My co-host on Hardcore Honeys is going to love this because he has a whole bunch of conspiracy theories around Space Jam already. So I promise you, you guys already made his day whenever I tell him about this conversation. <laughs> that's, that's a legitimate question, Sonali. I don't know. Yeah, very interesting. Um, okay, so last, yeah, uh, my, my other juicy topic, but I don't know, maybe you guys disagree with me. Um, we kind of touched on it. Uh, Dennis Rodman, what did you, what did you walk away with? Like, what, what impression of Dennis Rodman did you walk away with after watching that? It's not like, go. I still love him. I have always been a rebel and he has been my inspiration throughout my life. I got my nose pierced because Dennis Rodman had his nose pierced. I don't think a lot of people know that about me. <laughs> no, none of us. None of us knew that about you. That is yeah. newsflash. Okay. Um, but what a incredibly interesting story of a man who was very straight-laced and then became this incredible defender and this you know his obviously his skills are extraordinary but just the trio like the three amigos um I think that was what was most interesting to me was to see the dynamics between MJ Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and how Dennis um changed the relationships and kind of what you were saying earlier Sarah is that would he have been able to thrive uh, the way he did with the Bulls if he didn't have a coach like Phil Jackson that really allowed him to be who he was and, you know, this bad boy in a different way. And I think Steve Kerr says it so beautifully in one of the scenes where he's like, Dennis had different needs. And like, if his needs weren't met, like, you know, he didn't say it exactly like this, but like they impacted the team. And so it was really important to make sure Dennis's needs were met. Um, like, for example, having that weekend trip in Vegas. And I, I just thought that was really, um, that was an interesting look at him because there's just, you know, in the later years of Dennis Rodman, like they have been sort of painted with this, uh, like he's, he's, he's sort of a loose cannon and um, you know, there's lots of issues with, in terms of the things that he did and the allegations, um, which I'm not going to go into. Uh, but it was just fascinating to see how Phil was able to sort of also get Michael to look at the team as it's not just you, Michael, like all these people, like even like, you know, the Paxtons of the team, like, you know, when Paxton is shooting those free throws, like, and uh, sorry, those um, uh, three pointers, and you, you see sort of the dynamic shift, I think, um, I think Dennis was one of those players that like came in and like, you know, he sort of like Scotty really needed somebody 
So he needed MJ's support. He needed somebody to stand by him. And Dennis was there to kind of, I think, you know, allow for that relationship to flourish in a way too. So yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. I think I'm thinking of the relational side of it in terms of Dennis and, and the other two players that are. Very interesting. Okay, awesome. Uh, Jay, do you have any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I found really interesting how earlier on in the series, we've seen both Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan be obviously still very salty about some things that had happened. But when it comes to Dennis Rodman taking off to Vegas and not coming back when he was supposed to and having to actually go and get him, they're not angry at him. So I thought that was interesting because it must say everything about how dedicated he was to basketball when he was there and when he was on the court because they're mad about other things. There was a different story that Michael Jordan was mad about Dennis Rodman getting thrown out of a game and leaving me by by myself, he says. So I found it interesting that they're not upset at all about the, the, the disappearance to Las Vegas. So there must have been enough there in terms of their relationship and his commitment to the game and what they realized that he added, that that made that just like a funny story instead of one more thing that they're upset about. Sonali, were you going to say something? Um, No, I was just thinking of what that one coach's quote was, like, you can't, you can't like do something to a maverick or yeah well he said uh don't put a saddle on a mustang yeah yeah Yeah. you don't you can do you don't put a saddle on a mustang and i think that was really that just says it all yeah very interesting um all right thank you um all of you both of you for your takes on dennis rodman um and uh yeah really interesting uh player for sure um if you haven't been watching the last dance we highly recommend it it uh comes out on canadian netflix on Mondays. Um, if you're in the States, you can watch it on ESPN. Um, all right. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here, everyone. Another great week of no basketball or as great as weeks with no basketball can be. Um, we appreciate you all tuning in and continuing to listen. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, at Raptor Queens. If there's anyone in your life who's just missing the Raptors, make sure you share this podcast with them. And yeah, thanks you all again for tuning in. Have a wonderful week. Stay Raptor fans. We the North. Woohoo!